Hello and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. I'm Connell McCourt. Coming to you live from the Sports Radio 810 WHB Studios here in Kansas City. In a week where we saw two Premier League teams dumped out of the Champions League, we've seen managers be hired and fired on the south coast of England. And across the pond here, we've also seen two MLS teams uh, qualify to the next round of the CONCACAF Champions League. We're going to be discussing all of this and more over the next short period, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome back uh, to the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. Thank you for joining me again uh, here at the, about halfway through March. We're starting to get to the business end of the season. And I thought we'd start off today by speaking about uh, one of the clubs that, that I was speaking about earlier that were dumped out of the Champions League during the week, and that is Chelsea. Of course, Man United were also dumped out at home to Sevilla, uh, but Chelsea seems to be the topic on everyone's lips at the minute. So I thought we'd just get into that and break it down a wee bit about just some of my thoughts and some of the, the facts and figures that are out there. So Chelsea were dumped out, if you didn't know, of the Champions League uh, by Barcelona during the week. They were beaten 3-0 at, uh, at the Camp Nou. Uh, and to be fair to them, I thought I thought they had a go. I thought they were brave uh, over both legs, actually. First leg, they were undone by just a bit of defensive naivety by uh, one of their better players this season in Christensen. And uh, in the second uh, leg, just the best player on the planet and the best player that I've ever seen just decided to to show up as he usually does at this uh, end of the competition in Messi. But more of the talk this week is about uh, Antonio Conte and whether he'll stay on next year, uh, whether he even wants to be there and whether he'll be given the chance, uh, which is kind of silly in a way, seeing as he won the, the league last year. But, you know, Abramovich, he doesn't mess around when it comes to stuff like that. He does not tolerate failure at all. Uh, we've also seen Carlo Ancelotti win uh, the double and be sacked. Uh, by Abramovich so he's a pretty ruthless guy and some of the the rumblings coming out of Stamford Bridge uh, would lead you to believe that Conte is is on his way out at the end of the season but that remains to be seen there's still a lot of games to be played this year Uh, there's still an FA Cup to go for and uh, I I mean their chances aren't great of getting top four football for the the Champions League but I mean it's not impossible highly improbable but all it takes is for uh, someone around them Liverpool spurs to lose a couple of games and, and they're right back in the mix there. But as I said, back to the uh the Champions League. They were they were outdone by a bit of, a bit of brilliance by uh Messi twice. In fact, although I think Courtois could have done a bit better for both goals actually. Uh megged on both of them at his at his near post, but when when Messi shows up when he turns on the style, not too many defences can stop him or a goalkeeper in in uh in fact. But Chelsea, this year, I don't really think, although Conte won the league last year, as with Abramovich being so ruthless, I don't I don't, I don't honestly think hand on heart he will be there next year. But if he was to stay, I was just thinking about this today, if he was to stay, 
I think Chelsea could go out and win the league next year. And that sounds like a bit of a stupid statement, saying as uh, how well Man City are playing at the minute. Of course, City are just head and shoulders above everyone, or blowing everyone away at the minute. But I mean, that, that that'll only last for as long as it lasts, really. You know, what I mean, no one knows how long. No one knows uh, what players City will get rid of this year. But if if Chelsea, and just bear with me. So if Chelsea were to uh, to keep Conte on at the end of the season, say that he wins an FA Cup or whatever, and uh, he decides he wants to stay. And uh, he's given the opportunity to stay. The reason I said I think they can win the league if he does is because I think, personally, I think Conte is the best tactician, best managerial tactician in the league. I think he, he can find ways to beat teams. He sees how they're set up. He see, he works out a way to play against them. And and uh, and it can be so effective. I mean, you've seen in the first year he was there, he took over the disgruntled Mourinho side. Mourinho was let go, he came in, took over, kind of raised the spirits of the players, got them playing in the way that he wanted them to play. They were playing four at the back for the longest time, then he switched and went to a three at the back and everything just clicked. But tactically, he knows, he, he knows how to hurt teams. I don't think he can lose that. I think he's uh, had a bit of bad luck this year. I also think some of the players that have came in haven't really materialised, they haven't hit the ground running. Morata springs to mind. I mean, he was... Uh, deadly for Juventus and for uh, Real Madrid when he was getting a chance off the bench. He was deadly in front of the goal. And uh, this year he just seems to have fallen away. He doesn't really seem to be up to the, the physicality of the Premier League. Also, Bakayoko, the exact same. Yeah, he doesn't really seem to fancy it. Uh, which is kind of strange in a way because when I mean when I saw Bakayoko playing before I had never really watched much of him I'm not a big Ligue 1 fan not a big French football follower but when I seen him play for Monaco in the Champions League he was super absolutely super I remember watching games and thinking this guy will be in the Premier League soon he was a robust midfielder box to box spreading play winning the ball and and this year he just looks an, a shadow of that like he he has Kante one of the best at his job in the world around him, and he just does not seem to be getting used to it, getting up to the... He, he seems to be off the pace, um, doesn't seem to be confident, gives the ball away a lot, which you never saw for Monaco. So it's kind of strange. Uh, I also think there's a couple of players that the could let go. Uh, I don't think... I think Fabregas, I think he's got this stage in his career where he can't really... He can't really do it at at the top end anymore. He can't really do it in the massive games like you've seen uh, against Barcelona during the week. I mean, he'll still show up against Stoke or Crystal Palace or some of those teams and, and play a wonder ball and, uh, that'll win the game in the last couple of minutes. But when it comes to the big games, the Barcelona's, the PSG's, the Champions League games, even the big Premier League games, he just he seems to get a bit overrun in the middle of the park. His legs don't seem to be the same uh, as they were when he was younger, of course. But th that's... For the first of all, the, the two players, Bakayoko and, and Morata, if those two all of a sudden click into form next year, because remember, it took DDA Drogba a couple of seasons to settle in the Premier League before he started scoring goals, and we all saw what he turned out to be. So if Morata can do something similar, if he can get back to the kind of form uh, at Juventus at Real Madrid, and Bakayoko at the type of form he was at uh, with Monaco, I think they could have a good shot. Also, I think it's important they need to keep their key players. They need to keep William. They need to keep Hazard. Uh, they need to keep Conte, of course. And that back lane as well, Christensen, I think he's superb. I think he's been uh, a revelation this year. Young player, 
coming in a lot of uh, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, and he just seems to have stepped up. The the one sort of high profile mistake was against Barcelona, but he learned from that. Um, you've got Rudiger, who I think's a good player. Aspilicueta is a good player. I think, as I said, I think they can let another player they could let go would probably be Victor Moses. Um, could bring in another full back there, just someone that can sort of uh, shore up the defence there because uh, and and bomb forward a bit more because I don't really think Zappa Cost is all that great either. But with those type of players firing on all cylinders and uh, getting back to the way Chelsea were playing in the year that they won the league, I don't think there's any reason why, uh, any reason why they can't go on and try and challenge for the title. Another big factor that I've been thinking about is. The first year that Conte came in, a massive reason, I believe, for them winning the league. Not only were they playing the best football in the league, not only were they the most organised, everyone knew what the other players were doing, everybody knew their job and executed it perfectly. And obviously that all comes from the manager, all comes from the coach. But they didn't have Champions League football. They didn't have that distraction. And if Chelsea do miss out on top four this year and do get an FA Cup that probably save uh, Conte's job, not sure if it will, but... But that remains to be seen. If that does happen, I know I'm throwing a lot of ifs around here, but City will have Champions League football. Man United will have Champions League football. Liverpool, Champions League football. And probably Spurs, because Arsenal have no hope. All those teams, I mean, they're busy Tuesday and Wednesday nights. That means the only thing Chelsea have to worry about is domestic football. That was the way it was the first year. And look at, look at what they've done. All they need to do is get off to a good start. Cut out some of the uncharacteristic unchar- errors this year. I mean, as I said, some of the... Conte, he seems to have had... This year, he seems to be making a couple of weird decisions, which you, you never saw in, in the first season he was there. Bringing on the wrong players, leaving it a bit too late and stuff. But I think that all comes with the pressure just of, of them getting off to a bad start. Didn't They never really clicked in the gear, and they haven't really. And it's sort of all stemmed from the Diego Costa stuff. So Costa, at the end of last year... I think I think everyone knew, even in the year that they won it, around January time, he was making noises about wanting to move to China when all the big players were going there. And after that, I think it was the worst kept secret in England that he wanted to leave after the end of that season. I think Conte could have handled it better. He sent a text to him telling me he wasn't welcome at the club anymore, and obviously that uh, didn't go down too well in the Diego Costa camp because we all saw that he was just partying away in Brazil for about six weeks of the season and didn't care what Chelsea were doing and I think that set a bit of unrest about the club and from that point I haven't really recovered but I think that they bring in a couple more signings if as I said the, those players that are named William Hazard Kante that coupled with Morata and Bakayoko coming back into the form that we were talking about I mean I don't think I don't think Chelsea will be too far away. I don't think there'll be uh, as much of a golf as there was this year. But look, that's just my opinion. If you want, have any other opinions, you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter, of course, Connell underscore MCC. It's Connell underscore MCC. So we're going to take a bit of a break here. We're going to be right back after this, hearing from a Southampton fan uh, about the news that Sparky Hughes has just been appointed as their new coach. We'll be hearing from Matthew Markston when we come back on the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hello and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. I'm Connell McCourt and you're, I'm being joined on the line today by Matthew Markstone, uh, a Southampton fan based out of uh, California for the Southampton Delivery podcast. Matthew, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great. So, big news around the South Coast uh, these past few days. On Wednesday there, Mark Hughes has been appointed the new Southampton manager uh, after Maurizio Pellegrino has uh, been handed his P45. So, first of all, Matthew, were you surprised that uh, Pellegrino got the sack at such a crucial part of the season, or did you think a change needed to be made? Well, I I definitely think a change needed to be made, and the only surprising thing about it was that it took so long. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had had enough, a few victories in there um, over the past few months just against Wentz Brahman in the Cup and against Fulham and all that stuff. So I think every time that happened, it gave him a little bit more slack. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, that Newcastle defeat, that, that failure to pick up points against the team around us uh, and preceded by the, the failure to pick up points against Stoke, a you know, win over Stoke at home, um, I think that's really what did it. And in, in the manner of how we lost to Newcastle where the team didn't seem to fight, and even he came out afterwards and said uh, you know, he felt like the players – uh, weren't playing and, and didn't show up, and I think that kind of just sealed it for him. So um, overall, no, I'm not surprised that it happened. I'm just a little bit surprised that it happened this late. But with the international break and things like that, I think this is probably the, the last opportunity they had to make a change. Yeah, uh, and how have uh, Southampton fans reacted, like yourself, uh, with uh, with the appointment of Mark Hughes? Like it, as a manager, just in general, did, did you think he's the man for the job? Was he even in your thoughts when the thought when the sp- the talk of Pellegrino getting sacked was uh, first banded around? Well, I mean, when you look at the last four managers that we've had, uh, Pochettino, Koeman, uh, Puel, and Pellegrino, they're not they're well respected, I guess, in the football world. But I think even most fans of English soccer are not going to know who they were. They weren't household names. Mm-hmm. And they were, I think, part of a Southampton's uh, program or idea that they were going to you know, build towards Europe and, and look to, to the challenge for European places. But they were going to do it the same way they were, they were picking players. They weren't, they weren't going after star players. They were going after people on the fringes that, that had the kind of right, um, the right characteristics that they were looking for in the club. And 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 then this is so in that sense, Hughes represents a, a fairly large change, and, and and what they're going they're they're looking for in a manager. But um, at this point in the season, you have eight games to save it. Uh, he is a, a strong personality. He's well respected as a player. He's coached at uh, some big clubs and been successful uh, at fairly large clubs. So I think he's going to have the respect of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that sense, I, I think I'm happy with it. But there definitely are some fans who are. Uh, a little bit upset that that we didn't go for somebody like Marco Silva, or, or we didn't go for a, for somebody that was maybe um, a slightly bigger manager. But I don't think that was ever going to be an opportunity or a possibility for us. I didn't think that any any manager like that's going to look to come to the South Coast um, in the situation that we're in. I think we have to be able to attract a, a manager who maybe needs to to revive his career a little bit, maybe needs to to make a stand and get back into it. And I think that's uh, that's what the opportunity that Marquis has right now. And Mark Hughes, I mean, in my opinion, Mark Hughes, you know, you know what you're going to get with him. He likes to play an attractive play style of football, which I think suits Southampton more. I think under Pellegrino, they seemed to be a bit defensive. It didn't really, it didn't really suit the way they played in previous years. When, they, as you were saying, under the likes of Pochettino and the likes of Cumin, when they like to play nice free flowing football. This, 
at in some stages during those managers' tenures, they played some of the best football in the league, in my opinion. And with uh, with Mark Hughes coming in, you know, that's the type of football he likes to play. Pellegrino obviously was much more defensive. You seen when. Uh, when uh, Hughes even came into Stoke, Stoke had this reputation of being just a long ball team, and it worked for them when Tony Pulis was there. But when Hughes came in, he he changed everything. He he brought in players, uh, Shakiri and Bojan and Afalai and those types of players, players that like to play football, like to knock a ball about. And for a while, they were getting called Stoke Alona. So I think it, I think that'll suit uh, Southampton more because I think they have the players there uh, to be able. To be able to, of course, definitely stay up. Alexa Ward-Prowse and Tadic and Gabby Adini, Redmond and uh, Charlie Austin when he gets fit. Do you think that style of football will will suit Southampton more? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, the fans will be grateful for that because I think they, uh, for a long time, have been asking for football like that. They were not happy with the football last year under Powell. Uh, definitely weren't happy this year under Pellegrino. And, um, you know... Maybe they enjoyed the the kind of the high pressing uh, of Pochettino and, and the definite kind of counter attacking of Kuman, but um, they they want an identity and they want it to be an attacking kind of mindset and they want to to cut teams open and to to score goals and and I think that will that will excite a lot of the fans and like you said it, we definitely have the players to do that um, and for whatever reason uh, the last two managers have chosen to go away from that which um, you know I think. I still think the players are there to do it. It's just going to be, can Hughes kind of turn it around and, and will he be able to instill those those kind of values in them uh, with only eight games to go? I'm, I'm looking at the games that have to go here, eight games. Uh, of course, I was looking, it's been talked about it these past uh, two days since the news broke about uh, he only has eight games to save them and Sparky, when he's gone to other clubs, his first eight games haven't always got off on... on uh, on a good start, you know, the likes of Blackburn, he only won one game in his first eight, Fulham he won two, City he won three, QPR he won one, and Stoke he won three. Of course, he's going to need to win a lot more than those that, of those that, uh, to stay up. But looking at their fixtures, they do have they do have a couple of tough ties coming up. They're away to Arsenal, home to Chelsea, away to, away to Everton, and of course they play uh, Bournemouth and City as well. Do you honestly hand on heart with Hughes coming in? Do you think that uh, they can beat the drop? You know, I do, but it might just be the kind of optimism uh, as a fan. But I, I do, I do think that it's going to happen. But um, I've been saying, and a lot of people have been saying since uh, early February that this, this run through March is really going to be a, a big run for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but with the the Swansea game getting moved because of the FA Cup tie. Um, it's kind of thrown a little wrench in there, and then we we didn't pick up the points we needed early in the month. We, like we said, there were there were no uh, the, the points against Burnley and Stoke weren't enough. Uh, the failure to beat uh, Newcastle, and now really all we have ra- around us is is West Ham this month, and then Swansea will come sometime later. But um, I, I was saying that if we weren't out, if we weren't clear of the drop zone by the end of March, then we were probably going to go down. And uh, so, so on that, in that sense, you know, no, we probably won't make it. But um, I still, for some reason, believe that we can. Especially West Ham are not playing well. Uh, if we can go there and get a victory, uh, and if we get a victory this this weekend over Wigan, I think that would help. Uh, just give some a little bit of confidence to the, to the, to the team. And then uh, moving into West Ham after the international break, I think that'll be good. But um, it's going to be close either way. Um, but man, I really hope they do. 
I mean, yeah, just looking at the at the table right now, I can see. So West Brom, we can take that as red. They're gone. Uh, above them, you have Stoke Palace, then Southampton in 17th. But between Southampton in 17th on 28 points and Brighton on in 11th, there's only, there's only six points of a difference there. And there's a bunch of teams in and around them. I think Huddersfield could get dragged into it. I don't think they score enough goals. I think they could get dragged into to the, a relegation dogfight in these next few weeks. West Ham, as you said, aren't playing great. I think Bournemouth as well aren't aren't safe yet. But as you said, a, a victory against Wigan here on uh, in the FA Cup tie quarterfinal here on Sunday, that could give them a bit of momentum that they need and try and uh, carry them through with Hughes trying to get the best out of them. Uh, with that game on Sunday, Wigan, uh, I'm going to ask you for a prediction for the game. Well, I mean, we, we haven't been scoring very many goals lately. Um, the only victories we seem to be able to pick up are, are in, in the cup. So um, if they can keep Will Greg uh, quiet, that, that'd be nice. Uh, but I'm going to go 2-1 Southampton. I'm going to put us through and uh, take that confidence and, and move on and uh, approach West Ham. And I'll actually I'll be at the West Ham match. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that and hoping they come in there with some confidence and be nice to, to cheer the manager on in his first Premier League game. Good stuff. Well, I'm sure every Saints fan hopes the exact same as you, uh, a victory against Wigan here and then pushing on to keep them up. Uh, Matthew, just to let people know where they can hear your podcast, uh, do you want to give it a little plug? Yeah, sure. Um, podcast available, uh, iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, all that stuff. I just got onto Spotify. So uh, if you search Delivery, it's just it's two L's. And then we're on Twitter and Instagram at SSCDELL underscore IBERY. There you are. Uh, so you can follow Matthew on Twitter and on uh, iTunes, try and get his uh, podcast. But Matthew, thank you for talking to us anyway, and hopefully for your shake, Southampton can beat the drop. Appreciate it. This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And there's the final whistle. Sporting Kansas City have won the 2017 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Brought to you by Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance. We've got Missouri covered. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Soccer podcast. I'm Connell McCourt, and we're going to be switching it up a bit now to talk about some MLS and more specifically the CONCACAF Champions League. And I have to be honest, CONCACAF Champions League, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a competition that I'm overly familiar with, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people who aren't massive MLS fans out there listening aren't really familiar with. But thankfully, we've got... Uh, MLS sideline reporter for Sporting Kansas City, Carter Augustine, on the line to talk us through it. Carter, how's it going? Doing well, Connell. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, so, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, Carter, I've been looking at it, as I said, it's a bit it's a bit hard of a competition to get my head around because I've been looking at it sort of and trying to look at it in as akin to the European Champions League. And... It doesn't really seem to have a, little, a lot of similarities. Uh, the It doesn't really seem to be much of a, a priority for a lot of MLS teams since the reformation in 2008. In fact, no MLS team has actually ever won it. Is it is that a bit harsh for me to say, or would you agree that it's not top priority for uh, some MLS sides? No, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I think for a lot of MLS teams, they realize that their fans don't really 
understands the, the CCL at this point. Um, but uh, I think also it does maybe downplay a little bit of Liga MX's dominance because it's not that the teams haven't tried once they get to the group stages. It's just they haven't been able to get past the Mexican teams since it, since it reformed in 2008. There were a couple MLS teams that won the, the previous you know version of the Champions League, I think DC United and, and the Galaxy. But mm-hmm. yeah, ever since ever since it ever since it switched over to the more Champions League format, yeah, they just can't can't get past the Mexican teams. Um, but you're yeah. right; they, they 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 certainly don't they don't treat it like a lot of teams, like you said, like the European teams always treat uh, the Champions League over there. So. Yeah, as you're saying, I mean, Real Salt Lake, they've got to the final. Montreal Impact got to the final as well a few years ago. Do you think it's changing a bit the way uh, some MLS uh, coaches or head coaches view the tournament? Do you think it's it's getting a bit more prestige? I think possibly. I, I think so. I think they've uh, the, the Champions League themselves have tried to do some things to put, put the tournament in more of the public view in, in the United States. Um I think there is the the cherry there or the carrot for being the first MLS team to win this the Champions League format. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think that would be a source of pride for whichever MLS team is the first to do that, and, and we might see that this season. Um, but uh, maybe maybe some of these teams are taking it more seriously. I think the more realistic thing is just the league is getting better, uh, and specifically. Um, even a few years ago, you know, the top earners for uh, the MLS teams would, would it'd be on par with the top earners for Liga MX. Um, but then it was only, you know, four or five, six players deep for each of the MLS teams, yeah. whereas the Liga MX teams, the wage bills were just so, so much bigger yeah. and so much better balanced. Just so, more, more talent throughout the team, yeah. I mean, Exactly. It- and the the format, the way the tournament is now, it just I mean, because I've been like the last couple of weeks, especially, I've been really trying to get into it and figure out how it works and you know, the formats yeah. and stuff. And the way I see it at the minute, there's four clubs qualify from Mexico, four from the United States, one from Canada, and then one from uh, a host of Central American countries, the likes of Costa Rica, El Salvador, and that. And I believe the format is actually changing next year. Uh, can you tell yeah. us anything about the new format, and is it any easier to understand? You know, I'm not as well versed in, in the format, but I think it's changing to the calendar year. Um, so that will be uh, interesting. It should more it should mimic the MLS calendar a little more closely, I believe. And so, what that means is it's actually been not only have the Mexican teams have they've had the bigger wage bills in the past, mm-hmm. but the the knockout rounds start as you mentioned just over the past couple of weeks, and that's usually it, like you saw the Red Bulls last week. Or two weeks ago, sorry, that was the their first game of the season. They hadn't, you know, they're they're getting into the preseason a little early so they can uh, start the knockout round. Meanwhile, the Mexican teams, it's it's in the middle of their Clausura season, so yeah, uh, I think that has given the Liga MX teams an advantage in the past because they're they're already in in midseason form, um, and for for MLS teams, they have to you know get the they have to get the wagon started before the horses. Oh, seems. absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I unfortunately no, I'm not. I still need to read up, and uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not as well versed enough to tell you all the specifics about the format change, but I believe it is switching to to the calendar year, mm-hmm. and so that'll be interesting 
uh, and see how MLS teams do having a group stage. Well, speaking of New York Red Bulls, they're, they're actually, they qualified last night to the semifinals. So it's, uh, they beat Tijuana 5-1 over the two legs. Pretty dominant performance over the two legs by the Red Bulls. Uh, Toronto also threw. Uh, they were beaten 3-2 on the night by the Mexican champions Tigres, but they actually qualified on away goals, going through 4-4 on aggregate. And uh, Seattle are actually playing right now as we speak. So do you, yeah. think, do you think this can be the first year that an MLS, an MLS club can win the tournament? Uh, I think I think it can be for sure. You saw that both. I mean, you asked if these teams are taking it more seriously. I think Toronto and New York show that they are. Um, New York went on the road and got a huge result in their first leg, and uh, you know they they played a lot. They played a really strong lineup, um, and that allowed them to you know kind of coast. Uh, uh, not really coast is a close game, but you know they had the second leg at home. Um, so I, I think they, I think they are serious about it, and we know, Tur- I mean, we know Toronto has the quality to play with anyone um, in in this tournament and this competition. Um, so you see, the likes of Giovinco comes up with the free kick to send them through. Um, you know, I do think that they they could, and if Seattle, who I believe are ahead after the, the first leg, yeah, they're one now they up, can, and I get yeah, yeah. So if they can. If they pull it out, then there'll be at least one MLS team in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to credit New York. I think they're the first team to beat in a, a Mexican team over two legs. Uh, so there's, some, there's some stat like that. So in, in the knockout rounds, anyways. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know they're they're getting into uncharted territory at this point. Uh, I think it speaks to just the quality of the league getting better, uh, as well as maybe the team taking it a little more seriously. And absolutely, and I mean, when you look at the when you look at the likes of the squads as well that are that are growing. I mean, Toronto FC they spent a good bit of money. They brought in, as you said, the likes of Giovinco, Altador, yeah. uh, Vasquez, Akeche, you know, Gregory Vanderville, those types of players, and the the squads are growing. So I think this is, I mean, definitely the best chance that a a team from MLS has had to go on and win it because that Toronto team that swept up last year is what I from what I've seen the best team in. Uh, Probably it's ever played in MLS, but speaking yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of MLS, sorry, you uh, you went to a game on Saturday. Uh, you were up in Chicago against Sporting Kansas City. How did you yeah. think? How did you think Sporting done up there against that Chicago team? Were you a bit surprised at, at the Chicago team, seeing as we didn't see anything from them in the first week due to their absence? You know, um, I think they, I think they got. A little bit blown back by Sporting in that first half, just being like you said, they had the first week off, and I think they were just a little bit rusty in that first half as well. And Sporting just were were much better. They, I mean, I don't think Chicago did anything really in the first half mm-hmm. in, in terms of challenging Camellia's goal. Um, uh, there wasn't much surprising. I don't think in talking to Peter Vermees and the players during the week, they knew that Napanovic is going to he's usually going to roll with that same. Four-two-three-one type, you know, formation. A little wrinkle because Schweinsteiger has a freer role, but yeah, um, there wasn't anything too much surprising. And they just had some new players, and you know, they got rid of David Akam, and they're going to have to find a way to replace his production. Yeah, um, but they, they they came out roaring in, in the second half, and you saw that that's the team that scored over 40 goals at home last season. Yeah, um, they, they can really they can really get going. Uh, so I think uh, for Sporting to to outscore 
Chicago at home in that wild match. I think that's really impressive. That was, it was. I mean, and they showed great character. What do you expect from a Peter of Mee's side? Uh, Johnny Russell, I think, had a great game. Uh, the uh, And the new boy, Felipe Gutierrez, as well, getting on the score sheet twice. We also saw uh, Seth Sinovic come in for uh, Christian Lobato. And I think Seth played well, but then Madranda came off the bench and sort of got them back into the game as well. Do you think uh, Seth will keep his place this year or uh, or this week coming uh, after Lobato had a bit of a shaky start in the first game? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see that as well. And I think Seth will um, w- would point out, you know, that they haven't conceded a goal while he's been on the field so far this season. So, uh, it, like you said, it was right after he left. It's, it's not that Chicago didn't have a few chances just before that. But, yeah. Um, they, yeah, uh, I think he certainly played well. Uh, well enough to to keep his spot, but he did have to leave and got a couple stitches. So now um, we'll have we'll to see if he's good to go this weekend. But I think he, I think he would would have done enough to keep his spot. Um, but you know, you'll have, I guess we'll have to see what Peter Vermees thinks. Absolutely, and I mean, and uh, just mentioning Sporting, they will all, of course be in the Concacaf Champions League next year uh, because they won that U.S. Open Cup. Uh, last year so hopefully they can if uh, Toronto or Seattle or New York doesn't pull it out this year they can probably be the first team to win it next year but thank you for joining me anyway uh, Carter and get me a bit more well versed in this uh, CONCACAF Champions League thank you mate yeah thanks hey I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're getting interested because like you said there's not a lot of people that are into it but I I think it's a, a pretty pretty cool tournament to see all these Central American teams and um, you never know who you're going to see play because I think MLS has helped the quality of the region, mm-hmm. and we're starting to see you know guys the guys that will trickle from these teams that you can see in the CCL they'll trickle into MLS eventually. So uh, I'm glad you're into it. I mean, it's, a, it's a really fun competition. That's it. Definitely lots of potential because I mean, uh, like the the thing I like about it as well I mean I'm not a huge Liga MX follower I don't really follow a lot of Central American leagues either and it's a sort of a chance that I wouldn't usually watch these type of teams but some of them are, are pretty good teams knock a ball a bit well and stuff so it, yeah. it's, it's definitely as it grows it has a lot of potential to grow and as it grows I think we're just going to be subjected to, to better soccer so it's all good yeah. but Cotter thank you again as I said and uh, you can catch Carter on Twitter he's at Carter Augustine although the I is replaced with a 1 uh, very cool and you can catch me as well I'm at Connell McSee as well so thank you Carter uh, and we'll be yep. right back after this